Welcome to Growing Trends. This is Chris, and may I introduce Anne. Welcome back, everyone. This is Anne and Chris at Growing Trends, and we have a fascinating lady to discuss her new book called Eat Your Roses, Pansies, Lavender, and 49 Other Delicious Edible Flowers. Let me tell you a story about some people I watched munching daffodils one day. That was quite interesting. But um, anyway, Denise Schreiber <laughs> is the uh, author. Well, perhaps we shouldn't talk about that today. It was a project <laughs> I was doing, and they were in a contained space, I think is probably the safest way to put it. It was most interesting, actually. Anyway, Denise, let's start off by asking, I know a little bit more than Anne does, for example, you have quite a lot to do with the parks department, I think, in your area, don't you, or or country park or something? Actually, I work for Allegheny County Parks as my full-time job. We actually encompass almost 12,000 acres of parkland in Allegheny County alone, which surrounds the city of Pittsburgh. So it's not a little bit of parks, it's a whole lot of parks. So wow. do you get to, we, we have a, uh, an expression in England that the mayor of each town, city and village and, and so on has to walk the bounds once a year in the spring. So do you get to walk the bounds of the 12,000 acres? No, I can drive them, but I don't walk them. Uh, <laughs> some of it can actually be quite mountainous. We actually have one park that overlook, it has an uh, overlook spot that oversees actually four counties. Good Lord. Yes. So, and so tell, me a little bit, tell me a little bit about this. It sounds like it's uh, fascinating, actually. It must be a lot of native, untrained ground, is there? No, actually, each park is a little bit different. And we have one park where we have several lakes where they uh, we stock it with fish. People can actually go fishing. The park I am based out of is primarily a walking park where people can, you know, jog. We have races. You know, they walk their dogs. We also have a game preserve in the park that I work in, so we have buffalo, <laughs> which isn't something most people expect to have. Nice, not even especially in Pennsylvania. Please, the buffalo have been here since the parks were established back in the early 20s. Wow, proved any? Their personality still isn't really good. <laughs> we actually have bison, which is kind of nice, although we don't get to see them. I I sail it in Jackson County here, and they have a huge reserve almost with the big lake, and that's kind of fun. But it, it's so nice to see wildlife looked after rather than just contained in a zoo, to be honest. Yes, and they and they do roam. Uh, occasionally we have, I don't know about you, but we have a lot of deer here. Yes. When I say a lot, we can have as many as 400 deer per square mile. Uh, they've almost become pets. You know, we'll see them walking down the middle of a suburban street in the middle of the afternoon. Sometimes the deer will actually manage to get into the buffalo pen, and they seem to coexist. You know, we do have to try, though, to get them out. Did you say they become pests or pets? Well, it depends on which way you look at it. People consider them pests. I don't consider them a pet per se, but I couldn't hurt one either. I sort of, you know, do the passive exclusion with deer. They can be quite destructive. I will I will admit to that. They can be quite destructive. There you go. Well, before we get too sidetracked with, with Bambi talk, I'm going to steer us right to your book. First, is this the first book that you've written, Denise? Yes, it is. It is the first book. And what was your passion behind this book? What, what motivated you to want to do this? Uh, well, Chris will appreciate this. 
back in 1999, there was a, a tour being offered by Dr. Michael Durr and Dr. Alan Armitage to tour the gardens of England. Two friends and I thought, oh, this would be great. And then we kind of looked at the cost and said, there's no way we could afford this. My one friend had actually put together some tours at her previous place of employment. So we put together our own little tour. You know, we got together one wintry afternoon and said, well, you know, we want to see this and I want to see that. Kind of assigned everybody their own job. My job was to rent a car and get the plane reservations. Another was to make bed and breakfast reservations. The girl who arranged the tour, she became our navigator. That was her job. I would take this woman to the wilds of China. She's such a good navigator. But at any rate, so what we did was got to England. We rented a car at the airport, taught ourselves to drive on the wrong-hand side of the road in the airport parking lot. We went to the bed and breakfast where we were staying that night. And the next morning, we got up. We started driving, and we drove 1,400 miles over the next nine days. Oh, my goodness. That's quite a lot in England because it's only 450 miles from the Land's End to John O'Groat. Yes, well, we sort of circled around. We actually did Wales in a day, if you can imagine that. Nice. Um, (laughs) So how does this tie into your book? Well, at any rate, what we were doing, we were visiting all the gardens there. One of the last gardens we went to was a place called Montesfon Abbey in Hampshire, which is actually the kind of final resting place, so to speak, of Graham Stewart Thomas's Old Roses collection. Like every good public garden in England, there's always a place to have a bit of afternoon tea. So while my girlfriends were munching on scones and tea, I found rose petal ice cream. And I was like, oh my God, this is, this." when you smell a flower and you say, this smells good enough to eat, well, mm-hmm. this rose ice cream was the essence of what a rose smells like. Only it was all on my tongue and in my mouth and I was in love. So when we, I, there was nobody to ask for a recipe. I, I love to cook and bake, but there was nobody to ask for a recipe. We got back. I had started to do a little research on trying to find a, a recipe for it. And I did. I found some recipes. At work, they had wanted me to start doing some more classes and programming. And I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll have an edible flower food fest. This would be fun. I thought I'd get maybe 30 or 40 people. So I asked a master gardener if she'd be willing to talk. So we put a notice in the paper, and I went away for a couple of days and came back to find that I had 110 people registered for this thing. <laughs> and... I had to call the master gardener and tell her that it wasn't going to be 30 or 40 people. I said, it's actually 110, and there was silence on the other end of the line. Then she finally said, well, I guess it doesn't matter if I ask if I can bring one more person. (laughs) (laughs) So it began, and this will actually be the 14th year. Uh, I sell it out every year. I have um, between 175 and 200 people. We have between 12 and 15 dishes on the menu. Uh, we're just starting to put the menu together now. But we've done such things as, we always do rose petal ice cream. That's always something that, uh, menu. But we've, we did a, uh, fish, uh, broiled fish with white wine and butter and minarda sauce a couple of years ago. We do a roasted red pepper soup with nasturtiums. We float a little, uh, we put a nasturtium leaf on top with a little bit of either sour cream or Greek yogurt, and then put the flour on top. And it's really pretty. Uh, my husband thought we should throw some vodka in there, too. He thought it would be a good substitute for a Bloody Mary. And <laughs> we have a lot of fun with this. This is just a lot of fun. 
You know, I get people that aren't necessarily gardeners, but people who just like to have a good time, like to play with their food, so to speak. I get farm—I actually get pharmacists show up and make sure I'm not recommending anything to, as a cure-all for whatever ails you, which I never do. Uh, I really huh. don't like getting sued, actually. Uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. Kids love it. I, I always have a lot of kids. I just try to discourage children under four because when you have little children, the pediatrician is already always saying, don't feed them peanut butter or strawberries until they're a certain age because of a possible allergies and everything. So I just kind of include that. You know, the kids are actually sometimes more adventurous than the adults. Oh, yeah. More, definitely more curious, I would think, in some respects. So. Yeah, and, you know, we always make it clear, if you don't know that you're allowed to eat it, don't until an adult tells you. you know, so, so you actually serve a full dinner that has 12 to 15 items that evening right. to it, 100. It's a sample of everything. It's a sample wow. of everything. So if somebody comes, if, if they leave hungry, it's their own fault. <laughs> How and, many different flowers do you suppose you use in those recipes that evening? Well, it depends on how the growing season has been. We use fresh and dried flowers, uh, and we also mm. use herbal flowers. And we do use some herbs, too, because that's just sort of a natural progression, you know, using flowers in our foods. You know, we always use herbs. We've actually saved chive flowers, which bloom early spring. Well, my food fest is in the middle of July. Chives are, are way done blooming by then. So we've right. actually frozen them, stored them in a container, and then we've used them in, we've, we did a pasta, a hot pasta. So the pasta actually defrosted the chai flowers. And so you got that onion flavor with it. We've mm. also used dried onion flowers. We've let them grow. And they actually are quite potent. You wouldn't think they would be, but they are actually quite potent. So we use them sparingly, to say the least. Yeah. We've used garlic flowers. We've done garlic scapes. We've done a garlic scape pesto on crackers. I I like to use a lot of lavender, so I've I've done lavender ice cream. We've done chicken with lavender. We did uh, lavender biscotti for my daughter's wedding. We actually did Russian tea cakes. Some people some people call them snowballs or Mexican wedding cakes. They're little round cookies rolled in powdered sugar, and I added lavender to the recipe. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. a butter cookie, but with yes. that lavender flavor. Yes. Uh, one thing when I am working with flowers, like I said, I'm a baker. A lot of times I like to incorporate the flour with the fat in the recipe, mm-hmm. if at all possible, because fat absorbs flavor. So it helps to distribute it throughout the recipe. So when you say fat, are you usually using mostly oils? Are you using like coconut oil or... Uh, and actually, I don't use coconut oil because that flavor actually is overwhelming in most dishes. Mm-hmm. Typically, we use either olive oil or a canola or safflower oil and butter, real butter, especially when I'm baking, mm-hmm. you know, or a dairy product. You know, a lot of times we're using cream, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, we'll incorporate into that. You can take lemon verbena leaves and flowers. Just pour some heavy cream over them and let it sit, kind of bruise them. Let them sit overnight in a refrigerator and strain it out the next day. You can make a wonderful whipping cream that uh, will have that lemon verbena flavor all through it. And it's wonderful. You can just put a little dollop on a cake. 
So how have you set up the book? The book is set up a couple of different ways, actually. There is a section on flowers that are edible and inedible because a lot of people think that just because it shows up on their dinner plate that it's edible. And I found mm-hmm. that not all chefs know what flowers are edible. So mm-hmm. I try to make that very clear. Some just don't taste good, but some can actually poison you. So I do right. try to make it, you know, give a list. The My list of flowers that are edible are based on university websites, not on the Internet, because I've seen all sorts of horrific things on the Internet this way, you know. Are I, you saying I, you, can't, you can't believe everything that's on the Internet? Yeah, it's kind of like that really bad commercial that her date is a French model. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. this this flower will be yummy and tasty, not so much. Yeah, and it'll look really good on your grave, too. Yeah, oh yeah. So I have it that way. Then we have it that there is a photo of the flowers. A, and how to grow them, how to harvest them. It covers the lower 48 states. You know, I can't okay. say that I, I know much about Alaska and Hawaii's got its own set of rules. So it is based on the 48 states. So there's something from Texas, California, Wisconsin to Maine. Then we have the recipes and a picture of the recipes in the second half of the book. So when you compiled this book and all of its information, you gleaned what flowers to use from university studies, but did you actually, do you have contacts in different states that were able to kind of help you out and give you their feedback? Yes, actually, you... I do. Actually, I do. But for one of the recipes, it's called pineapple guava plant. It is a California, it's a coastal plant because I know it grows in the tidewater of Virginia, grows in coastal California. It's actually a beautiful part of this flower. They're striking red and very tall with the pollen right at the very edge. But the sepals are actually what are edible. They're very, um, oh, very succulent. We actually made a strawberry smoothie with the petals, you know, using, you know, strawberry yogurt and the petals in them. And they have kind of a cotton candy flavor to them is the best mm-hmm. way to put it. Just incorporated it that way. So, you know, somebody in Maine isn't necessarily going to be using pineapple guava. But, you know, should, should they be in California at a friend's house cooking, they know that they can go do that too. I was in Dallas, Texas, the director of horticulture at the Dallas Arboretum actually dragged me out in the middle of a horrible thunderstorm into the garden. We were harvesting false yucca. He, you know, and I'm like, there's lightning everywhere. I'm praying we're not going to get struck by lightning. And he's feeding me flowers <laughs> out in the garden. He's telling me it tastes like a fresh pea, and I'm telling him it tastes like a cross between corn and cucumber. You know, so, you know, perception wow. sometimes is a little different, you know, between people, too. But yeah, we included that cute. in the book, too. That's a good thought because you're right. I mean, some people will, a certain thing will appeal to one person and not to another. That happens. People all tell the me time. that they, I have people tell me all the time that they love the smell of boxwood. I can't stand the smell. I, I like know, the plant. I can't cat stand the smell. Yes. I have three cats. I don't need to be reminded what their litter box smells like. Yeah, that's what it smells like to me anyway. But then I have people who don't like the scent of paper wipes, and I do. So. Yeah. And I don't. So, yeah. <laughs> there we go. So, okay, so you've got all these different flowers, and and you're trying out a recipe. You know, how do you decide whether to put it in a baked good 
or like a smoothie, or what kind? Do you have some kind of way that you decide how you're going to experiment it with it? Yeah, it's called experiment. <laughs> I have some friends who help me at the Edible Flowers Food Fest every year. They're foodies, you know. In fact, we're getting together this Sunday, and we have Super Sunday, and we're going to all make different soups to share with each other. You know, our lives revolve around food. You know, we'll kind of discuss the flavors of each flower, and mm-hmm. say, well, do you think it would work in this or would mm-hmm. it work in something else better? Some things work better sweet, some work better savory, some work with both. Lavender and roses work sweet and savory. Monarda works sweet and savory. Pansies really work best with sweet. Nurtions yeah, are more savory. What's so, the most you know, surprising we, plant that people see that you've used in a recipe that they would, they maybe wouldn't think of? Most people are amazed. They know about nasturtiums and they know about pansies. Uh-huh. They really don't even know about roses or lavender or bee balm or yuccas or anything else. They're just shocked by it. Uh-huh. They're like, I didn't know I could eat this. It's like, yeah, you can. Sh- should I make a confession now? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, I, I went to Mother, Mother Denise <laughs> will take your confession. Okay, well, the confession is this. I went to one of those fabulous exotic schools in England with lots of grounds and um, plenty of plants and everything. And during our chemistry lesson, once we'd understood the uh, vagaries of bauxite, aluminium smelter, we were allowed to experiment. So we experimented with wine making, and we had rose, rosehip wine and elderflower wine, any wine that we could find from flowers. And we just kept going until we could find one that we didn't like. But uh, the rosehip one was really nice, actually. That's and a brilliant idea. And uh, lots of vitamin C. Absolutely. And, and the amazing thing was we actually had a license from the local magistrate in which, so that we could imbibe such things along with beer in our own um, pub in school. In school. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. I believe um, that's called moonshine here. No, no, yeah. this was legal. I mean, we actually had a license, and, and as long as... We didn't get drunk, so the bar stayed open. It was a sort of, once you were age 16, you were permitted to imbibe. You know, without supervision, it was all done on a honesty basis. And there was only one occasion we chased somebody around the grounds to try and stop him from regurgitating and that kind of stuff. But um, Oh, okay, that's too much information. <laughs> well, you know. The point was, we, we actually, in a chemistry version, took the natural flowers, fruits and things. Have you ever used? Uh, like flowers off of a succulent? No, I can't say we have because I really don't have anything. You know, this is Pennsylvania, so succulents tend not to be, you know, very hardy here. They're they're house plants, which means uh-huh. when we get them, they've been treated. Right. You know, yeah, so that's we, true. We, yeah. One thing so people may not think of, if you if you've treated your roses with all kinds of insecticides and pesticides and fungicides and so forth, you don't want to be consuming those. Right, and that's something, I have my rules for eating edible flowers. The first rule is, you know, you don't eat flowers that come from a florist or a garden center or a nursery. You only eat that you know have only been grown naturally. Right. That's a good idea. You know? Yeah, and, and you know, there are organic pesticides that you can safely use, but you always have to read the labels. Some aren't necessarily for use on edible crops whether it's right. flowers or vegetables. So you, you have to always read the label. Things things like neem oil and baking soda and things like that, they'd be all right, wouldn't they, really? Uh, the, the neem oil usually is, depending on the formulation. Sometimes it's 
I, uh, an oil, and you don't want to use an oil on something you're going to eat, but if it's water-soluble, you usually can. I don't recommend homemade remedies because sometimes I find that they can actually do more harm than good, Then people are very upset when their plant dies. So, you know, ones that you can purchase have been tested for their efficacy and also for any toxicity to Mm -hmm. uh, plants, Uh, you know, because some things you can use on uh, one plant, but you can't use on another. And actually succulents are a plant that are very sensitive to any number of pesticides, whether organic or not. They're very susceptible to Mm -hmm. damage from um, safer soap, Mm -hmm. you know, which is considered organic, but it's... Right. We used to use, um, I'm just trying to think what you called it, sugar soap for um, hmm. getting rid of aphids and things because it would make them drown. Uh, hmm. Yeah, you, you've got to be careful about sunlight and all sorts of things because you're going to have a... Right. I'm going to say, I recommend hand-picking a lot, and I'm notorious if I spot aphids on like the tip of a plant. I just put a pair of garden gloves on or plastic gloves, and I kind of squish them all off. It takes no time at all to do that. Do you find a market for flowers? Is, is there a outlet? Like, is that an item that you would be able to find at an organic grocer? Uh, you should be able to find at an organic grocer uh, at least some. If not, a lot of them are willing to order it in for you. You know, you go to usually the produce manager at the supermarket and ask them. Some do. I always look to see what they carry because sometimes there's certain marigolds that are edible. They are called the gem marigolds, lemon gem, orange gem, tangerine gem. They are edible. But sometimes I see a package of your basic bolero marigold in the package. While they're not going to make you sick, they don't really taste very good. They're being touted as being edible flowers. Hmm. So I do try to look at that. There are several places online that I order from, uh, Frontier Herbs. Uh, the Village Herb Shop. There's another one whose name escaped me. There's a place in California that does roses. You can order fresh roses uh, or you can order dried roses. And, you know, we grow our own, too. Other mm-hmm. than, you know, usually the roses, if we have a good year, we try to get them as fresh as possible. Sometimes we have to use dried if we've had a particularly rainy spring, which means here in Pittsburgh we have black spots. <laughs> yes. Or the deer ate them. The deer do oh. eat. Just about everything. So if our listeners were interested in getting a hold of a copy of your book, where where would they go, Denise? They can go to Amazon.com. They can go to BarnesandNoble.com. I believe you can order it straight from SaintLinsPress.com. Uh, so you can get it in most bookstores. And independent bookstores carry it. Some gardens, larger garden centers carry it. If not, they can order it in for you. When did it come out? Actually, it came out in 2011. It's really cool, actually. I, I'm looking at a copy of it right now, and I should have got it to you, Anne. I'm sorry. Can I tell you a secret about the cover? Go on. Uh, Absolutely. You see the, uh, we won't tell see. anybody. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, I, I don't care. It's kind of, you know, we laugh about it now. My publisher had asked me to take a picture of the rose petal ice cream. So my sister-in-law had this beautiful martini glass from Grey Goose Vodka. And it had a very elaborate pewter stem, you know, with vines and flowers on it. I'm like, oh, this would be perfect. So we took a bunch of pictures, and it just it looked great. I sent them to my publisher. About three or four months later, he calls me up and says he needs more pictures that they weren't high resolution enough for the cover. 
So I'd given the glass back to my sister-in-law, called my brother up, and I said, you know, I need to borrow the glass again. I'll stop out tomorrow morning. So I walked into the house the next morning, and my brother's swearing up the storm, throwing things around. I'm like, what's wrong? I broke the blah, 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 blah glass. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Aww. So necessity being the mother of invention, I took the, uh, the uh, stem. I went to the dollar store. I bought uh, the plastic champagne glasses, cut, yeah. it, cut it off, took some tacky wax, packed it into the stem, and pushed it in, and me and the photographer took a ton of pictures before it started leaking out. <laughs> That's marvelous. We don't tell anybody. Uh, I won't say what. Well, maybe not. Me neither. Oh, wow, Denise, this has been a pleasure. If if our, if our listeners have a question, uh, is there a way they could personally contact you? Sure. I do have a website. It is www ediblesflowers1.com or they can email me directly at ediblesflowers1 at aol.com We can return for a further chapter at a later date but today we have to say thank you ever so much and uh, Anne will do honours of whatever it is we do at Growing Trends these days Anne (laughs) (laughs) Well we, we thank our guests for listening we thank our guests for appearing and sharing their knowledge and their passion with Denise, you're inspirational. And I'm going to go home and see what I can come up with in terms of food and flowers. It's a wonderful concept. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Everybody, thanks for listening. And this is goodbye from Ann Miller and Chris Hughes. And thank you for tuning in to Growing Trends. And listening. And next time, we always have something cooking.